<laughs> well, scripture readings this evening are Psalm 51 from the Old Testament and Luke 15, 11 to 32 in the New Testament, which is our sermon text this evening. But Psalm 51 reads as such. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall flow forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good and your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. And in Luke 15, Then he, that is Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we we give uh, this time as well to you, hoping and trusting that through me you would speak. certainly my desire that that the words tonight spoken would not be of myself. I know that you have particular things for those who will hear tonight. And Lord, I pray that that I wouldn't get in the way. Lord, I pray that there would be no distraction, but that by your grace, you would allow all to to know what you have, to receive it, to apply it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Luke chapter 15. And, not being... So long ago, you probably realized that I'm just finishing this chapter, because I think it was three weeks ago, right? On a Sunday morning, we did the first two parables in Luke. Um, Two weeks ago, I uh, taught out of Romans 10, along the same vein, and uh, so we're wrapping it up tonight, Luke 15, with the, the parable of the two sons. So remember, if you turn to Luke 15, if you're there, if you look at verses 1 and 2, Luke says here that then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. And then Jesus proceeds to speak these parables to them and, and answer 
um, to their complaint as an explanation of what's going on. We talked about the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and tonight will be the the lost son or the two sons. Um, the parable of the prodigal son um, doesn't really give the whole story. It's just kind of half the parable, really. Um, at least how it's mostly presented, I'd say, because as we will see tonight, both sons squander the father's possessions. Um, anyway. So verse 11, Luke chapter 15. A certain man had two sons. Now, we need to understand if we're looking at this parable in the same light that we do in the other two. Knowing that it's still an explanation of what's happening with Jesus sitting down with the tax collectors and the sinners and then the scribes and the Pharisees complaining about him doing such. Um, there's a lot more in this one. And it's, it's a much deeper explanation and it gives us a different uh, picture, a different view of what's going on, but Jesus is still answering the same question. But I don't suppose that we do look at this one in, in exactly the same manner as the first two. I think the first two, the lost sheep and the lost coin, um, do go together. Um, but there is a difference between this one and those two. You see, the first two speak of one lost from a whole group, remember? One sheep lost from a hundred, one coin lost from ten. Um, this one is different in that it goes into more detail with contrasting basically verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 15. In that the first son, which we read about, the younger, who ends up, you know, living in a prodigal manner. I was going to say prodigally, but <laughs> that's not a word. <laughs> That first son is a picture of the tax collectors and the sinners that are coming to Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 15. And then the older son who is complaining about how the, the father receives the younger after such, you know, outward gross sin. Um, that son is a picture of the scribes and the Pharisees. So we're getting a different, um, a different viewpoint, but all still... Um, an explanation of the same exact event at the beginning of the chapter. Um, so the contrast here is with further explanation of the whole situation. And even prior to chapter 15 and chapter 14, if you remember, or if you're familiar, um, with the Lord talking about this invitation to this great banquet and how with that and with the rejection thereof, when it comes to fulfilling the RSVP, because remember, so many said, yeah, I'll come, but they never actually ended up coming, right? Um, well, those are the ones that would not participate in the banquet. They actually didn't have seats reserved for them when you look at the meaning of what's behind it, because, because you guys in heaven, um, there are no empty seats, Right? All those who God has intended to be there with him will certainly be there. So, so it does go back before 15, 1 and 2, but that's in the great context of, of Luke here. And if you're interested, 
later read into chapter 16 too because Jesus continues to talk about the things in the same vein of thought. So, so if that's the case, if it's speaking uh, differently, then verses 11 through 24 of chapter 15, they're matching up with 15.1. And then verses 25 through 30, um, or 32 even, they match up with chapter 15, verse 2. And they cast a negative light on those, the scribes and the Pharisees, who cast a positive, a false positive light on themselves. And that's the issue, right? Isn't it? With the scribes and the Pharisees, self-righteousness. Right? The positive light that they cast on themselves is actually a false positive. It's not real. Um, it's subjective. And it's, it's, it proves their deception. Because God would say, on the contrary, you are going to hell and these whom you are ridiculing are going to be at the banquet. There's a verse in Matthew we'll reference later that says that very specifically. So let's talk about the first son. So if this is a further explanation of verse 1 in chapter 15, then, then what do these things mean? Now I had to remind myself, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before as well. If not, this is, this is good to um, accept. And that is when it comes to understanding the parables of the Lord, um, it's not always wise to dogmatically assign meaning to every single detail. Now, the pendulum can swing the other way too, can it? And I'd say it's also unwise to dismiss the details, right? We don't want to be so, so generic that we say, all right, we're only looking for the big picture here. Because think of it like this. this all the details in the parable that are, that are given to explain a situation, I mean, it sounds like a real story, right? But it's not. It's a parable. All the details therein are still given by inspiration of God, by the Holy Spirit. So... So anyway, parables can be difficult. Um, nonetheless, I think if we give ourselves to the context and then to the whole of Scripture, I think we can still draw a lot of good out of them and not, um, not be too concerned that, we, that we're in error. So let's see, let's see what we can draw out together. So in verse 12 of chapter 15, we see that the younger of them, that's the two sons that the father has, the younger says to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And then, so the father responds by dividing to them his livelihood. Now, we must understand that this is an abnormal uh, situation among families in this time. Children wouldn't do this. It, this would be a, um, a sign of great disrespect. Because what the first son is saying essentially is, I want what you have to be mine as if you were dead. Right? And so, even though the father isn't dead, essentially... He's dead to his younger son. And right off the bat, we see this parallel between 
this younger son and and all of mankind, because prior to the grace of God making us alive in Christ, God indeed is dead to us, isn't he? All right, so what's the meaning of the inheritance here? Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Um, Well, first, let's understand that this is not just the father's going to sell everything he has and divide it up between one brother and the other, and then he's going to be destitute because he gave everything away as if he were dead. That's not what happens. We know that. The father gives to the sons both. He gives both of them. Isn't that interesting? Um, From his livelihood... And that's another key point to understand when it comes to the details of this parable. Um, But we know he didn't give everything. How do we know? Because at the end, the father's still in charge of his estate, right? It's still all his. Go get the fatted calf, right? Bring a robe, get a ring, put some shoes on his feet. He still owns his things that he didn't give to his children. He just gave from what he has to each one. And even the older got his as well. I just see I just see a picture of the grace of God here. And since we know that the father took from what is his and gave it to both sons, I think that this is a picture of common grace that is given to all. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 44 and 45 where um, he says that God makes it Rain on the just and the unjust. God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And those aren't the only things that God does to all of mankind, whether or not they are his children. That's just a picture of saying, hey, did you just take a breath? Well, you didn't even deserve that. I think I think that's really do you do you deserve anything you have? Um, Unbeliever or believer. Right. And we would say as children of God, well, in Christ, um, we are treated with the love that the father loves his son, Jesus, with. Um, But outside of Christ, no man can say that they deserve anything. And that's where we get that idea of common grace. And Scripture makes a clear distinction, and this is where we'll see it too here, between common grace and particular grace or what we'll call saving grace. You see, because both sons, as the father divides what is his and gives to both, will receive what I think is the picture of common grace, but only one in the end will receive that particular saving grace. It's the younger. It's the one who left home and squandered everything. That one will receive saving grace, and the older will not. And remember, the younger is supposed to be a picture of the tax collectors and sinners, and the older of the religious establishment, those who, you know, portray themselves as being super close to God, but in reality, they are very far from God and His heart. Common grace given to all men, saving grace only to some And we know that from Romans chapter 9. For time's sake, we won't turn and read. But I think the gist of that passage is that Paul is explaining right after he talks about Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. and, And before they were even born, God chose them. Before they could even do anything right or wrong, that the purpose of his election might stand. 
And then Paul starts to make these hypothetical arguments like man arguing with God. And he ends up saying, well, can't the potter do what he wants to do? He is the creator of all. Can't he make some unto wrath so that the display of his mercy can be ever more magnified? Is the gist of what Paul says in Romans chapter 9 there. It's in verses 18 to 24 if you'd like to reference it later. So there's, there's the differences there. After the, after the father gives of his livelihood to, to both sons. Then in verses 13 through 19, we see what the younger son does with what he's given. He squanders it, right? He, he spends it all on prodigal living, as the King James says. And as he loses everything, he starts to realize that true riches are relational and not based on possession. This is something that the, the older brother never comes to realize. So consider the contrast here. This is a basic biblical contrast. I'll give you a couple of verses. One, remember Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. So just gaining the whole world alone, I mean, given that this life is a vapor, for all of eternity, no one in hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, no one will ever say, well, at least I gained the world. And no man could ever gain the world anyway. Contrast that with what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? So if you have that relationship, and the context of the Beatitudes is relationship, if you have that relationship with the Father, the earth is yours. If you reject Him and and are just interested in the earth, then you get nothing. So we're going to look a little bit at the perspective that is given to the Son when it comes to the gifts and the giver. So also, let's keep in mind that the whole context of Luke regarding, remember we were talking about in 14, those invited and those who participate in the banquet. Let's call the invitation common grace. And I think that fits this passage very well. And then let's call each seat that is filled in reality in the banquet, let's call that saving grace. Common grace is the invitation going out indiscriminately to all. There is a banquet. Come to the banquet. There are many seats that need to be filled. And that's our job, right? We don't know whose names are sitting at the table with those little place cards, right? We don't know who's supposed to fill each seat, but we know we're supposed to go out and invite people to it. That's the common grace. The common grace is for the invitation of the gospel to go from God through His church by His Spirit to the entire world. The saving grace is when the Holy Spirit calls by name each of those who have their little placards at the table, right? That's particular saving grace. 
Matthew 22:14, Jesus says, "Many are called, but few are chosen." Now that by no means gives us reason to think that we should call few, right? We should call many. We don't choose, we call. And that's not even by ourselves. That's by the power of the Spirit and the love of Christ in us. In particular, in this, this section of the, the younger son in verses 13 to 19, we see in verse 17, if you turn your attention there, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, and then so forth. And he starts to realize, like, wait a second, this, this was horrible decision-making. And he, he recalls the relationship that his father has, not with the servants of his household, but those who he hired from the town. I mean, these people aren't even, like, living there. So he immediately skips his sonship, and he skips over the servants of the house, and he goes to the hired servants that come and just work and then go home and come and work. Like, man, if I could only be one of them, Right? And that's where I got the title of the sermon, Lord, Bring Us to Our Senses. Um, because I think it's in the Holman where that's what's used to translate it from the Greek. It says the, the son came to his senses. Here in the King James it says he came to himself. Now, this is so great to understand um, that this is part of the whole answer, remember? This is part of the tax collectors and the sinners sitting down with Jesus and eating with him, and receiving from him what he has to say to them. The explanation of the younger son here. When the younger son realized his true state, he realized that life is more than gifts. It's about relationship with the giver. And he longed for his father again. You see, salvation is not found in the sunshine and the rainfall of common grace but in a very particular relationship with the one who causes the sun to shine and the one who causes the rain to fall on all. Again, from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Those who know they are spiritually bankrupt. I think Jesus is actually saying here that Part of the particular call of salvation is the gift of knowing you're bankrupt in the first place. And the picture here is you're starving with the pigs. That's the picture. We know that, right? That it is grace to even realize our detriment. It is God's grace to know that we are helpless without Him. It's God's grace to know that we are totally depraved. And then we ask for salvation from that. We must know that we are starving with the pigs in order to call out for salvation and then be saved, like we talked about a few weeks ago from Romans chapter 10. And we read it in our Scripture reading tonight from the Psalms, but Paul quotes those Psalms in Romans chapter 3. And remember... Let's not be confused by this at all. Jesus is not saying, um, so what's going to happen here is before the tax collectors and the sinners come and eat with me, first they need to come to themselves. First they need to come to their senses. 
What Jesus is explaining is that part of them coming to him, part of the entirety of salvation is God granting a realization in the mind and in the heart of a man that he needs to be saved. That he is starving and poor with the pigs and dirty and helpless and without anyone seemingly to care for him until there's this thought and he comes to his senses and he comes to himself, oh, my father, if I could only just serve him and have the bread that the hired servants are given. So, none seek after God, right? You know, so many people will read Luke chapter 15 and especially this parable of the two sons and they'll say, aha, you see, he came to his senses. So we must preach the gospel in order to get the intellect of man to turn around and realize that they need God. But on the contrary, we have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the two sons. Part of the whole picture of salvation is man coming to himself, coming to his senses, but not by himself. Because it's, it's all right there in the context, all part of the answer to the complaint of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 17 is part of salvation. Let us know that with confidence. Verse 17 is not a prerequisite to salvation. That is so important to know. That all goodness unto man that can be for man, in man, from man can alone be from God and nothing else. We have no capacity in and of ourselves. So let's keep going in the passage, verses 20 to 24. This here, this is an intimate picture of the celebration when one sinner repents. Just like after the shepherd brings home that one sheep. Just like after the woman finds the one coin and calls all her friends over. I found my coin! I found my coin! Right? And there's a party in heaven. Well, this picture here gives some intimate details of that between a father and his son. The first, the first two parables don't give a lot of explanation, but this one does. And it shows very particularly that there's focus on the one again. This is very special. When a sinner repents, it's not just another salvation party. What we know from this parable is that the party is as particular as the salvation itself. That's how special it is. If we continue, verses 25 through 30, now we get a picture of the older son. The older son here, the one who didn't leave but still received from his father, the same as the younger son did. The older son is a picture of verse 2 in chapter 15, the scribes and the Pharisees complaining to Jesus about Jesus that he would receive such people as his younger brother, basically, right? 
of these sinners, these tax collectors. Like the scribes and the the Pharisees, the older son presumed that he was better than his younger son. But it wasn't based on how God sees man. It was based on the way he held himself in high regard. Based on the understanding of himself. And in Luke chapter 11, verses 39, if you guys will turn back just a few pages. Luke eleven thirty-nine to 42. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. There's so many similar passages and indictments of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious system in Jerusalem that was very far from what God wanted it to be as a representation of himself. He sent his son to represent himself. The final word, these last days, the father has spoken to us by his son. And Jesus is saying this older brother who is disgusted with the treatment that his father is giving his younger younger brother is is just like the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and he thinks that he is good and clean and pure, but he's just putting on a front and the outside is clean. The inside is full of wickedness. And in another place in Scripture, Jesus would liken the religious leaders to whitewashed tombs. You know, it looks nice and neat on the outside, but on the, on the inside, it's just death. So here's another thing in common that both brothers have. They both received from their father of his livelihood. I would call that common grace. And they both squandered that common grace. One just looked different from the other. One did it in, in licentious living, as other translations put it. And the other did it while trying to uphold his understanding of himself and present this self-righteousness. But since we know he's representing the scribes and the Pharisees, he's wicked on the inside. He's full of rotting bodies, decay, death, and disgust. There's the similarities. Well, what's, what are the main differences? Well, Jesus did not come to heal those who are well, but those who are sick, right? The tax collectors and the sinners hear the voice of their shepherd call them by name, and they come and they receive from Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees in their self-righteousness reject the grace of God, content to continue in their self-righteousness all along. We see in verse 28 of Luke 15 that the older son was angry and would not go in to the party. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. 
We know that the Lord says in Matthew chapter 5, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? This older brother is just just letting the filth come right out. Complaining about how his father is treating his brother. Just death. Decay. Just disgusting. Grace to someone like that and it makes sense, right? It's Jesus explaining the scribes and the Pharisees saying, grace to people like that? Tax collectors and sinners? But even while this older son has his filth coming out of his heart through his mouth in this complaint, the father still is gracious to him. Do you see that? The father still pleads with him. That's amazing. Verses 31 and 32 wrap up the chapter. And he said to him, this is the father to the older son, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Both sons are given common grace. One, only one is given saving grace and the other is not. Now, this is, this is just a parable. Remember, it's not a story historically. The scribes and the Pharisees, they fit into Matthew 8, verses 10 through 12. I believe we were here recently with pastor going through Matthew. But Jesus says in verse 10 of Matthew 8, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Remember, the, the centurion was coming to ask for healing from Jesus. And this is Jesus' remarks about him. And then in verse 11, he says, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The sons of the kingdom, what's that mean? Well, those who are um, by birth Israelites, but not sons of Abraham by faith. Jesus said, remember, you know, those... uh, From the east and the west, they'll come sit down with Abraham, who believed in God and it was counted to him for righteousness before before the law was even given by Moses. Right. And Isaac called the son of promise and Jacob, who before he was even born and did anything good or evil, God loved grace, grace, grace. And all those who come to sit down at the table with them will be by God's grace. And then the sons of the kingdom, the scribes and the Pharisees, they who with no faith accept in themselves and their own righteousness, they will be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, that lines up with Romans 9, verses 18 through 24. But here's, here's the thing. God will save those that are His from start to finish from death to life 
like with the younger son. My son was dead, now he's alive. He will save from lost to found, like with all three parables. And he will do it regardless of man, but he does it using man. That's how God works. We do present this invitation, but we never plead based on intellect or understanding, do we? And so if we want to witness Luke 15.1, do we remember what that says? All the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near to him to hear him. If we want to witness that on a regular basis here, then we need to go. We need to be used by God. We don't save, He does, but we go. If we don't go, brothers and sisters, all those seats will still be filled. For sure. Right? All those who, who God has written in the Lamb's Book of Life, slain before the foundation of the world, they will be saved. Every sheep, every coin, every son. Regardless of what we do, regardless individually, and regardless of what LOPC does. But, we will never witness such things as Luke 15.1, as God has planned and desired for us to witness. I want to. I want to see the tax collectors and the sinners sitting down with Jesus to receive from Him. Don't you? I want to see these pews filled every time there's a chance for them to be. Not because there's a, a religious obligation, because we should never be like the scribes and the Pharisees, but because there is a dear and special intimate relationship, a salvation given by the Father by grace alone that is precious to all He saves. We don't save, but we need to go. And then, with that, I just I say, Lord, bring us to our senses. So let's pray. Oh Lord, thank You for, for Your grace in our lives. How amazing it is. We give You all honor and glory, all power, all wisdom, all knowledge. They're all Yours. You are holy. You are righteous. You are just. You are good. You are faithful. And we deserve nothing. We have squandered everything You've given us. And yet you still saved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You made us alive in Christ. Indeed, you died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still sinning with no regard of you, not seeking after you. You caused us to come to ourselves and realize our bankruptcy and gave us hearts to call out to You and, and made us Your children. Here we are, calling out to You again, saying, 
Here I am. Send me. Use us to add to your church, dear God. In Jesus' name, amen.